Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show while you're at it at Locked On Leafs. And if you like what you hear today, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a rating and a review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. Uh, we got a big show today. It is officially the eve of the NHL entry draft. And I am joined by my man, friend of the show, Tony Ferrari. Tony, what's happening, brother? Not too much. Excited. The draft day is basically here, and I'm just ready to get this year over with so I can start really focusing in on next year's crop. 2020 was such a, a weird year for everything, and the draft is no different. Um, it was supposed to take place back in June, and obviously here we are in October. And a lot of these guys, well, none of these guys know where they're playing. They don't know when they're playing yet because the NHL still hasn't dropped the date for when they're starting next season. And uh, But the, the weird part is, and we were kind of talking about this right before we hit record, is it seems like this past couple of months have kind of just flown by. Like, I remember it being, you know, July thinking, are we even going to see hockey? And then I blinked and all of a sudden the Cups awarded and we're, two, you know, a day away from the, from the NHL draft. Like, I feel like this has just been – super super strange and i'm sure that's had to kind of affect the draft process in a way like has it at all or am i just kind of thinking aloud here like an idiot no it definitely has because not only is it kind of given us extra time to go over some of the game tape and whatnot but it's it's given some of these guys especially the european guys a few games under their belt this year to show what they've they've improved on so a guy like lucas raymond or a guy like anton lindell putting up good performances in europe you have to take that into account because if you don't, it's almost irresponsible to your own draft ranking. So uh, it, it's been a weird year. It's been a fun year. It's been a long year. But, yeah, it's, it's 2020, so that's, it's pretty much right on cue for that year. How much are you taking into account about, like, those European prospects? Because it is an advantage, but I know, like, for myself, you know, I, I dabble into the, the whole prospect and scouting thing when it comes to football. And kind of when the season's over and when um, the – kind of bowl games are over everybody likes to change their rankings and change their scouting reports and all that based off of what they see uh, in the spring whether it's at the combine or their pro days but to me that's always kind of been a bad idea you kind of just want to base it on what you already know and at some point you have to put the scouting report away and maybe you know those are just to maybe I call like cluster busters like those performances could change clusters but this is a little bit different where you're actually getting a look at their D plus one year, which is what it technically should be. So does that play like a a major role here or is it still more of a cluster buster type thing where it's just, maybe it's just a little different of a, of a report here, or is this actually like a big advantage for the Europeans? Well, I I don't think you can really take it into account like some crazy amount, but like cluster buster is the perfect term for it. Cause you look at a guy like Lucas Raymond and maybe last year you had some questions like, is that production that we all think is there? Is it going to come out when he gets the opportunity? Uh, is he going to be able to play against men? Is he going to be able to do this? Or is he going to be able to do that? And this year he's kind of come back in the first, the little bit of preseason, the first few games of the SHL season, and he's shown he can do it and he's doing it at a really high level. So it, it's almost like you'll see a guy confirm some things, but with the extra time, that's, that's the other advantage we've kind of had is that for me, like, with this extra time, I've, I haven't watched Lafreniere as much. I haven't watched Byfield as much because I don't need to watch those guys. I've seen those guys for two years. I've seen them some of them for two and a half years. So those top end guys are really where I don't don't necessarily need to watch. But 
when I watch a guy like Hendricks Lapierre, some of his tape, because he was injured a lot this year, so I didn't get to see him as much. Uh, Justin Barron's another guy like that with the injuries. Or, or I go back and I get a little bit deeper and I, I get guys that are in the third and fourth round and I can get a better gauge on them. And maybe I can kind of tweak my rankings towards the back half of my top 100 so I can get one of those guys that I think might be a diamond in the rough inside my top 100 because once you get past 50, really, it, it's, it's darts at the board. So this extra time has kind of allowed you to tweak that back end and be more comfortable with that back end of your rankings. But as for the top end, like you said, it's a cluster buster type situation. You're not worrying about you're not going to take Lucas Raymond if you had him at 15 and be like, you know what? Maybe he is the number three prospect now. No, you're going, okay, he's in this group from three to five. Where do I want him in that group? And this is kind of maybe for me confirmed that he should be at three. And that's where I kind of have him now. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, Before we get into kind of the individual analysis of the players and get to know these prospects a little bit more, I just want to get your overall thoughts on this draft. Like where's the depth at? Do we have some good depth in the middle rounds? Is it top heavy? You know, what's what's your overall thoughts here in the 2020 NHL draft? So there's been a lot of kind of talk about this being a really deep draft. And, And while I think that's true in a sense, it's also not true in a sense because I think this is a draft that's very deep on skill and upside. With that, though, comes a deep draft of, of red flags and guys that are not either going to be top six guys or not going to make it into the NHL. So you look at a guy that, that could go in the second, third, fourth round even in Alexander Passion, and he's a smaller, skilled, high-end, fast-paced winger. And, and maybe he doesn't go late or go until later because he is 5'9", he's smaller, and teams still take that into account, and he plays in the MHL in the Russian League, and, and that league is kind of a dumpster fire defensively at times. So trusting the production and trusting what you're seeing might be a little bit difficult, but if this kid breaks, he could be a really high end prospect. He could legitimately be a top 20 prospect from this class if everything works out for him, but those red flags are there and there's concerns. So there's a lot of guys in that mold where you have a guy with that. You have two or three tools that you really like, but then there's those, those red flags that you have to be concerned about. So I think there's going to be a lot of guys that maybe work out in the third and fourth round, but at the same time, early in the or late in the first round early in the second round you can see a ton of busts there one thing that we we tend to see is guys kind of raise their value and maybe lose a little bit of value is is throughout the playoffs and we didn't see that at all in the chl playoffs uh do you think that that's going to make it a lot tougher for a lot of these guys uh who are who are looking to get drafted and for the teams who are looking to draft like it's very, very important to see how they do under pressure in these games. Is that going to affect things, the fact that they didn't play in playoff games? It, that's definitely going to be a factor because we, we kind of lost the two, two events I call the, the rubber stamp events for the year. They, they let you put the rubber stamp on the year in scouting, and, and that's the U18s in the, the CHL playoffs and in junior playoffs in general. But we didn't get either of those this year, so we kind of have to look back at, at how they perform in the Helenka Gretzky Cup and how they perform at the U17s the year before and, and kind of get – a gauge on, on their under pressure situations like that, or, or if they were playing a, in a big spot in the playoffs last year as a, as a 16 or 17 year old, like a guy like Lafreniere did that. So we kind of seen what he was able to do under pressure. And I mean, he also performed amazingly at the world juniors. So there's no, no worry about him in that sense, but you, you kind of need to look back a little further or you need to look back at, at situations in games. Really. That's kind of what I've, I've done this year is when I have gone back and all the extra time we've had, and, and I, I watch a cluster of games of a player, I like to kind of give myself the rule of for every three games I'm watching, I'm watching one game where he scored a lot of points, one game where he had no points and one game where his team got blown out. 
Cause I want to see what happens in, in all those different situations. I want to see how he plays in those different elements and, and kind of how he reacts to those things. So that was something I kind of did for myself. And, and I, I was able to kind of key in on some of those kind of pressure situations, even without the playoffs and whatnot. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional, we can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoma.com slash LockedOn and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoma.com slash LockedOnNHL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoma.com slash LockedOnNHL. GetRoma.com slash LockedOnNHL. You want Chinese, they want pizza, and someone's always craving Froyo. There's something for everyone on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. With over 300,000 partners in U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities we operate in safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees off of your first order when you download the app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNHL for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Let's get to the individual players, and we got to start at the top of the list. The number one guy everyone's got on the draft board, Alexis uh, Lafreniere. Give me a quick scouting report on this kid. Well, the way I like to look at this draft is, is you have the two guys up top, and Lafreniere is the best player today. There's no doubt about that. There's no debate. Byfield could be the better prospect long-term, but look, you look at the two today, and, and Lafreniere is the, an absolutely dominant force. Um, he's such a high end thinker. He, he just thinks the game offensively at a different level and he's got the physical maturity and the elite level skill to kind of give him the edge and give him the ability to generate offense and generate shots at an elite, elite rate. Um, he, he was one of the best players in the entire draft process to at driving shot differentials. Um, he's a two time CHL player of the year, three time QMJHL first team all-star Kalinka champion world junior gold medalist. Like the, the list of accomplishments for this kid goes don't like just doesn't end. So I think this kid it's, it's the easy choice at number one. Um, like I said, maybe Byfield can, can challenge that in terms of being a long-term prospect, but I think you just go with Lafreniere because he's just such a good damn player. The term franchise player was being tossed around a little bit with him very early on in his career. 
and you know there, he's been absolutely exceptional in the queue and kind of falling in the footsteps of of Sidney Crosby, right? But the term franchise player, like I said, gets overused a little bit. Where would you slot him when you think about the guys in the past who have been first first overall picks in the draft? Like if you're going the last ten years, where does he kind of slide in? Is he in the McDavid, um, you know, McDavid, McKinnon, and Matthews? range or is he more of like a he sure uh or or nuge type range like where does he fall in the spectrum here well it's kind of interesting because when i did quentin byfield's deep dive I, I looked at that exact thing for him where would he rank among the first overall picks from the last 10 years and with byfield i, I kind of argued myself to he'd be the first overall pick in about at least five or six of the years of the last 10 with the exceptions of mcdavid matthews dalene and in McKinnon for sure. And maybe there's a couple other guys that you could challenge for him. But other than that, I think Byfield would be the first overall pick in, in all those years. And, and I think Lafreniere is in the exact same boat. I think Lafreniere is, like I said, he's maybe a step ahead of Byfield right now. So I think he, he's right behind that tier. I don't know if he's an Austin Matthews or, or a, a Nate McKinnon type prospect. And, and let's be honest, at, at the draft time, Nate McKinnon wasn't a Nate McKinnon level prospect. He, he, That's true. He was a really good player. And, and I think he probably had the same amount of, of hype in, in, in promise that Lafreniere has. But kind of assuming, like saying that to people, like they automatically go, okay, well, he's going to be Nate McKinnon. And, and the difference is McKinnon exceeded his expectations. And, and that's a rare thing to do as a first overall pick. So I think Lafreniere is in that range right under those guys. So I, I, in most years, I'd say he'd probably be a first round pick at least for five or six of the years. Let's, uh, let's move on to, to number two, because I think that's where all the intrigue is going to start here. But based on your answer before, the big question here is whether or not the LA Kings are going to go with Byfield or Stutzla. It seems like like early in the draft process, it was very much Lafreniere and Byfield. Those were one, two. And then about the mid-ranking, Stutzla really came to the forefront and became the guy that a lot of, of draft pundits were saying could uh, unseat Byfield from that number two spot. Now we're at the end of the draft process. How does that shake out for you? Well, I see what everyone's saying with, with Stutzla, and in, I'll, I'll admit, like Tim Stutzla is my favorite player in the entire draft. I, I love watching the kid play, but just in my evaluations and, and everything I've watched of these two guys in the last two years, even like Byfield is just a special, special talent. I, I think this kid could legitimately be like the ceiling on this kid is is a top ten player in the NHL, in my opinion. Like I, wow. I don't think that like there's no promise that he gets there. And that's the big thing with him. Like he is such a physical freak and he is such a, a, a talented, talented player that I, I think there's a lot of, of things with Quentin Byfield that are a little bit misunderstood. Like a lot of people see him at six, four, 215 pounds. And they go, that's a power forward. And that's just not the style of game he plays. You it's, it's similar to the way that people look at Austin Matthews. I think and, and they're a really good foil for each other. Because Matthews is a big boy. He's a, he's a big guy that you look at him and you go, man, if he would just crush somebody, like he would annihilate them. And we've, yep. seen, and we've seen it at times. And with Byfield, it's the same thing. Uh, they, they play a very, very similar style game. But the difference is Quinton Byfield is the playmaking foil to Austin Matthews' goal scorer. So I, they play the game in a very similar way. They're, they're effective in the same ways. They, they move around the ice even in the same ways. It's almost eerie at times the way – that watching Quinton Byfield play reminds me of Austin Matthews. And I think Quinton Byfield has that potential to get to that level of player. So for, for my money, I think he's the second best player in the draft. Um, I've even 
argued myself like back and forth that that he might even be my number one ranked player just because of how high that potential is but if i'm on the draft floor i i can't even kind of pretend like i wouldn't have all that pressure under me in, in draft lafrenia <laughs> first overall but as an armchair gm i'll probably take byfield right now but will la take byfield because i take a look at what's going on with their prospects and they've gone center a lot lately and they're pretty deep down the middle and they've got some some really solid players maybe they go for a guy like Stutzla who can play the wing and kind of fill out their roster a little bit on the outsides and use that that capital that they have already and from within and kind of build out I think that's the only thing that you're wondering if, if you're wondering what the Kings are going to do and if you're the Ottawa Senators is well what do they do here are they going to go for another centerman? That would be what, like their fourth center that they've taken in the in the first round in the last five years, I think. Um, or do you go for a guy like Stutzla, who, again, an equally good player who maybe fits more of a need again? Yeah, and that's the thing is is with, with Tim Stutzla, he's, he's got so much of that flash and that flair that you look at him and you just can't help but love watching this kid play. Like I said, he's my favorite player in the draft to, to to watch. He's just such a fun player. He's got all the skill in the world, all the speed in the world. But I think there's going to be some adjustment for him coming over to North America. And, and I think there there are concerns in his game that kind of irk me a little bit with, with how he plays the game. And I know this isn't going to be a favorable comparison, and this isn't a, this level of player he is by any means. He's a much higher skill player than this. But with, with the Leafs fans are really familiar with Kasperi Kapanen and how, how much speed he has and how much speed he can have during when he's playing. And we're also all familiar with the fact that he likes to drive into the offensive zone and find himself in the corner and go, what am I doing now? And, <laughs> yes. And, and Tim Stutzla is going to do that at the NHL level at first, I think, because right now he's able to kind of just fly around the offensive zone two or three times, take a couple laps because he is just a faster player than a lot of the players in the German, German men's league. But at the AHL level or the NHL level, he's not going to be able to do that second lap. He's going to get nailed along the boards or he's going to need to make an adjustment. And if that adjustment comes down to stopping in the corner and deciding what to do from there, it's going to take a step. So I think he's going to need to kind of deal with some stuff like that. And there's going to be an adjustment period for him. The DEL, it's a good league. It's an improving league. And I think it's definitely a league that prospects, especially German prospects should consider playing in during their draft year because it's getting a ton of exposure the last few years with Moritz Sider and Tim Slitzel and JJ Paterka. But the fact of the matter is it's still not one of the top leagues in Europe. Um, and one of the things that bothers me about it most is there's no back checking. There, there's very little like back pressure on a guy as he's rushing up ice and as he's entering that offensive zone. So like I said, Tim Stosa can kind of get that free reign to wander a little bit more there. And at the NHL level, I just don't think he's going to do that. For, for me personally, he's my number five prospect on my board. And, and if LA drafts him, I think it's a good pick. He's still a, a, an outstanding player. Like I said, he's my favorite player in the draft. But I, I think they might be leaving a little bit on the board with, with, with a guy like Quentin Byfield. And I think the potential with him is just unreal. Regardless, whoever LA takes at number two, the Senators are going to get themselves a pretty good prospect at number three, whether it is Byfield, Stutzla, or maybe, you know, they decide to go defenseman and, and get themselves one of these two between Jake Sanderson and, and Jamie Drysdale. And that kind of brings me to my next question, because there seems to be a lot of steam picking up here for Jake Sanderson late into the draft process. And I've heard some rumblings that he might actually go ahead of Jamie Drysdale, who was the number one D on the boards all year long what's so intriguing about these two players and how do you rank them 
right now I rank them one A, one B, and I won't tell you who's who because <laughs> I, I don't want to because it, it changes from day to day. Like I I did a few podcasts in the last week and and I got the question. I I remember on the one podcast I said Jamie Drysdale, and then the second one I said Jake Sanderson, and I didn't realize <laughs> I said it till the like almost near the end of the podcast, and then I mentioned it on the podcast that I just answered the opposite thing the other day. You're hedging and, your bets. That's all. Yeah, exactly. It's, and I said to them, I was like, it's because it's that close for me. I think with those two, it's going to come down to a stylistic choice. And that's the way I kind of look at it. And with Jamie, Jamie Drysdale, you get this really high end transitional uh, skilled skating defenseman. I think his skating is, is among the best in the draft. He's got some of the best edge work. Um, the way he walks a blue line on the power play and just kind of controls things that way is, is really, really special. Um, but the thing with Jamie Drysdale is I think there's a little bit of misconception with, with what kind of player he really is, because I think a lot of people are expe- looking at him and, and seeing the highlights and expecting, okay, this is a Quinn Hughes type defenseman. This is a smaller guy who's going to be able to wheel and deal and, and just push the pace offensively on his own stick. And I don't think Jamie Drysdale is quite that player. I think he's, he's a, like I said earlier, he's a bit more of a transition style defender and he's more than capable in the offensive zone, but I don't think that's going to be a strength at the next level. I think he's really going to be one of these guys that, that gets the puck up to the next level. And he's going to be a guy that is going to rack up a ton of secondary assists and first assists. And I think he's going to be a good player and he'll probably play on the power play. Like I don't have any doubt about that, but I don't quite know if he's that Quinn Hughes style defenseman. And you look at Jake Sanderson, and he's almost the opposite. He's an excellent defender in transition as well. But where he really strives is, is defending in transition and really stopping a play before it happens. So he's the defensive foil almost to, to Jake's, or Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Drysdale. And uh, they, they just play almost the opposite style of games. Like, to me, that you look at them and you're like, that's an ideal defensive pairing because you have this like high-octane, high high-paced offensive defenseman in Jamie Drysdale. And then you have this like just as, as good a skater, a, a speedy skilled defenseman in Jake Sanderson who makes an excellent first pass. And I think there's more of that offensive game growing in Jake Sanderson's game. Um, if you're asking me who I'd take right now, it, it depends on what team I am, but I probably lean Jake Sanderson to be completely honest because he has that added advantage of being so young for the draft class. He's a, I think he's a late June birthday, but I know he's a June birthday for sure. And he's, he's one of these guys that his, his growth over the year, and that's something I really look at, is, is development over the year and over the last two years of where you're kind of going and what you're showing on the ice. And, and Jake Sanderson really seemed to hit a point this year where he just said, you know what, I'm taking over, and he did that. That national team development program wasn't the strongest offensive team, so he was driving the offense from the back end. And, and there were a lot of games where it was him pushing the pace every single play. So I think there's a little bit more to unlock there. We're going to see him play at North Dakota next year. And he's going to be one of their, their top ND men there. So he's going to step into a good role. And, but yeah, these two defensemen, it's going to be a flip a coin. And, and like I said, if you want the guy that's a little bit more offensive leaning, you draft Jamie Drysdale. If you want the guy that maybe is a, little bit, a bit more responsible with a, with a bit of room to grow offensively, then you, you, got, you got a guy like Jake Sanderson. And I think that's just, again, we're, we're kind of – seeing the same theme once again, where you just see the amount of depth that is at the top of this draft class, you know, like you, if you're taking a guy like Sanderson or Drysdale in the top five, you're going to get an equally good player, you know, outside of the top five, just because you already got, you know, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, and they got these goaltenders. There's a couple other players in the mix there. Uh, let's talk about those guys. You know, we talk about cluster busters, I suppose. Um, you know, those other players there in the top 10, 
I've talked to you guys about the Built Bar before, but Built's got a brand new product that they're launching called the Built Go. The Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Break through your wall, whether it's a mental or a physical wall. Break through it with Go every day. It's easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever, your golf bag to power through the back nine, or put it in your pocket to get through the day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's best for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. And get this, three unbelievably delicious flavors. You got your peanut butter honey, you got chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. The Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein. And these collagen proteins are fast-absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. The collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff really, literally makes you look better. The Bilko is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Beta alanine, B3, honey, a little kick of caffeine. Trust me, you're going to want to try this stuff, and you can get it right now, 30% off. Visit BiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BiltGo.com. Let's go. Before we get, let's start with the goaltender because I actually want to talk about him a little bit more in depth before we get to the other players. So, Yaroslav Askarov, the Russian goaltender who's uh, being called the best goaltending prospect since Carey Price, which is unreal uh, when you also look at the great goalies that have been coming uh, since him, since Carey Price. So you, you think of a couple other goals that come to mind recently. Vasilevsky just won himself a Stanley Cup. Samsonov's been unbelievable. Uh, you know, those guys were also first-round picks. And then last year we had another goalie go in the first round. But Askarov's supposed to be better than all of them. Is this true? Is he the best goalie since Carey Price? What's the scouting report on him? And how high could he actually go? Well, I, I'm a big fan of Yaroslav Askarov. And I, I've said this all year, and I've kind of gotten the label as the Askarov guy a little bit. But I, I think with Askarov, I don't think Vasilevsky got a t as much respect as he deserved in his draft year. I think he probably should have been a higher ranked player. And honestly, he probably could have gone higher in the first round. Um, I think it was a, a big reason. Mean, you can, you can tell me if I'm, I'm obviously not a huge scouting guy. Uh, unfortunately, I wish I was, I just don't have the time the, the amount of time that you put into this work is just unbelievable. Uh, but for me, I think something that soured on Askarov was his performance at the world juniors. Is, would you say that's fair? Yeah, and I think that that is fair because I think with him is he, he's a guy that he's been out, lights out in every tournament he's been in. He, he's been a stud. He's he's dominated at every level he's kind of played at, including at the KHL level at times. So when he went to the World Juniors, I think he was expected to be really, really good. And at the time, he hadn't quite made it to the KHL. He was playing in the VHL, which is the AHL equivalent in Russia. And he was playing really well there. So when he got to the, the World Juniors and he didn't take over, it was the first time we all kind of seen that chink in the armor. It was the first time we all seen, like, maybe this kid isn't the, the stud that we all thought. But then he went back to dominating as soon as he went back to his club team. So I think there was a bit of an overemphasis on that World Juniors performance because I think this kid is legit. I, I think he's going to be a stud at the next level. Um, one of the things I've been saying recently is that you look at Yaroslav Askarov, and you compare him to a, the next best junior goalie, whether you want to say that's Nico Dawes or Drew Comesso or Joel Bloomquist, whichever one you want. 
you compare his game to that, you just watch video side by side, and they look vastly different. Like, Askarov is just a more advanced goaltender. You can tell by just viewing it. You don't even need to be a goaltending guy. Whereas when you look at Askarov up against an NHL goaltender, even if you just look at him against a good NHL goaltender like Vasilevsky, you go, okay, there's more similarities here than, than the last viewing I just saw. So I, I think Askarov is just an other-level goaltender. I, I think with him, you're looking at a guy that when you draft a guy at 8, 9, 10, 11, you're probably waiting at least two years on that guy realistically. You can maybe rush him in a year, but realistically you're looking at two years for a guy. And I don't think Askarov's out of that equation either. I think he's more NHL-ready than almost any goalie I've seen ever. And, and I think he's got a real chance to be in two years on your roster playing meaningful games, even if it's in a 1A, 1B role. That's an ideal situation. So, for instance, if he goes to Nashville at 11, that's an awesome spot for him because it kind of allows Pekka Rene to kind of play out the last few years of his career. Askarov comes over, plays a 1A, 1B tandem with UC Saros, who hasn't really taken the reins and shown that he can be a starter. And then Askarov takes the reins after that. And then you get valuable games on a goaltender's entry-level contract. And that's so important in a cap world that we live in. And realistically, when you do get those valuable games, he's probably not going to be at the Vesna level quite yet. So you might be able to sign him to a six-year deal and lock him down at a reasonable number and get eight to, t- eight to nine years of valuable goaltending at a realistically decent cap hit. So in those first three years, like I said, those entry-level deals will be invaluable to a team's cap. And just in general, players are a lot younger when they enter the league this, like these days. Like Carter Hart was, what, 20 years old when he started yep. dominating? Like he's still only, what, 21 or 22? Uh, you know, Samsonov's in his early 20s. Like it just seems like goaltenders, they don't ripen them as long as they used to, and they're just ready to go because they're so good these days. And I feel like Askarov could be another one of those guys. How high could he go? Does Ottawa take a sniff at five? Because I've heard some rumblings there. Yeah, I've heard the rumblings too. And I've been saying all year that as soon as I'm on the board at number six, he's in the conversation no matter what. I think it's irresponsible to take him out of the conversation at that that point. At number five, I think it's a little bit high. But again, you're going one pick higher. So I, I think you can make the argument that even at number five, he's in the conversation. I probably wouldn't do it that high. Realistically, on my draft board personally, I have met number eight. Um, the Dauber prospects draft board has him at number 11. So I, I think in that range, eight to 11 is probably where he goes. But if, if some team take, takes that risk and drafts him at five or six, I'm going to love the pick personally. Is there a team maybe outside of Nashville that you think really, really might go after him and trade up into the top 10 to solidify their goaltender of the future? I don't know if anyone trades up. But I think a team like Minnesota maybe could take a, take a risk. I know they got Kapokakinen in net, and he's a, he's a kind of up-and-coming prospect, and I really like him as a prospect as well. But I don't know if any of these teams really have, in that 8-10 to 10 range, really have that goaltender of the future that, that's really going to be preventing them from drafting Askarov, essentially. Because goaltending is the one position where I think if you do have a high-end prospect there, you can, you can avoid drafting another one at such a high draft price you i'm fine with drafting a goaltender in the second third fourth round even if you do have that high end high end prospect but with the value of a draft pick in the first round and with the value of the forwards and and even some of the defensemen in this first round you're gonna really miss out if you already have kind of a surplus in net so i think he needs to go to the right situation a minnesota makes a ton of sense to me um even even a winnipeg i wouldn't be shocked if a winnipeg 
kind of takes that risk because they need a defenseman. And unless those top two guys are there and J- Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson, I think you're starting to take a, le- a, a big reach when you get to that point. So I think they could maybe consider Askarov and go, you know what? Carter Hellebuck's a hell of a goalie. There's no doubt about that. He just won the Vezina Trophy. That'd be a pretty sweet tandem at the end of Hellebuck's deal to kind of get the last couple of years out of Hellebuck and, and then kind of work Vasilevsky or Yaroslav Askarov right into the mix. And I, I think that might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think that's a situation that could make a lot of sense. Interesting. I, I never thought about that one. I don't know. I, I ah. He just won the Vesna. You're already running him out of town. <laughs> Goalies are crazy and don't pay too much for them. So, and, and he's a guy that, like you said, he just won the Vesna. He's, he's at the peak of his career. He is going to be a high caliber goalie for the next three to four or five years at least. And, and that allows you to kind of bring Askarov into the mix and, and let him kind of learn under Hellebuck. And then don't pay the goalie because every team we've looked at that's paid the goalie is suffering from that, that contract right now. You look at Florida with Bobrovsky, and I don't think there's any doubt that Bobrovsky's still a good goalie. Like, he had a terrible season, and there's no doubt about that last year. It was awful. But I think, like, we've seen him have terrible seasons before. You, I think uh, on Twitter today, there was someone that, I think it was Jay Fresh, put out some charts about goalies saved above, goal saved above expectations average um, for all the goalies in the top 31, all the starters, basically, of the last 10 years. And he showed their ranks over the years. And outside of Henrik Lundqvist, everyone, like, even Carey Price, yeah, Vasilevsky, all these guys, they all varied from like, there were years where they'd be 24 out of 31, then there'd be four out of 31, then they'd be 18 and 17, and then back up into the top five. And so goaltending is so variable. Like, I think taking the risk on Askarov, even if you have a guy like Hellebuck, because you don't want to pay Hellebuck after this contract, as good as he is, let that kind of transition happen and you don't have to worry about goaltending. It's, it's a crazy pick and it would be like, a big shock to a lot of people, including myself, but in my, in my head, I can make it make sense. The two teams who I've kind of penciled as potential trade-up candidates are the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton Oilers. I think those two teams are desperately in need of a goaltender of the future and, and sitting there at 13 and 14, it wouldn't cost a, a whole bunch to try and hop into the top 10. Uh, there's rumors that Buffalo is, is, you know, listening on to move down same with New Jersey. And if those spots are are available to get ahead of Minnesota and Winnipeg and uh, Nashville, the three teams who you mentioned as good landing spots, you know, maybe they try and strike some sort of deal to go and get their man. Yeah. It would, it wouldn't shock me because especially a team like Carolina, they, they seem to be one piece away. And, and as much as I like Askarov, I don't know if he's going to be that one piece yet. Like I said, it's still two years. Like you're waiting on any prospect for the most part in this range for two years. So we're trying to get that missing piece for the future. It makes a ton of sense. I think, I think Carolina would be an awesome fit. And if he, he's that's, if it's not Nashville, my next best bet is probably Carolina. Cause even though those other two teams ahead of them that I mentioned in Winnipeg and Minnesota make sense to me, there's still so much value with those forwards on the table and those teams still desperately need other prospects as well. So I think a Carolina makes a lot of sense, but I don't know if they trade up for him um, because Carolina is a smart team and they know that having that, that second round pick that they're probably gonna have to give up, you're going to get a good prospect in this year's draft. So even if you have to miss out on, on Yaroslav Askarov this year, maybe you go, you know what, we're going to take Rodian Amirov at, at 13 and then we're going to get Drew Comesso or, or Joel Bloomquist in the second round. And, and that's just as good a kind of combination as is just getting Askarov. Um, 
how many of these guys do you think could play in the NHL next year? It's a, it's a tough question because with a lot of the European guys, they're not going to be coming over for, for training camp. Um, a lot of them have kind of clauses in their contracts that some of them have NHL out clauses, but a few of them don't. So it's going to be kind of up in the air for who can actually even get to training camp. But in terms of just pure readiness, Alexi Lafreniere is obviously going to be in the NHL next year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah. Literally nothing to prove at the junior hockey level. Um, Quinton Byfield could play in the NHL next year, I think. I think he'd be a capable second, third line center. But I think the situation really matters for him. And I kind of commented on that the other day is if he goes to LA, I think that's a good situation. I think he can play in the NHL in LA next year because he won't be the focal point. He won't be the best player on the offensive side of the ice for them. Cause you have Andre Kopitar and you have these other guys that can kind of take some of the pressure away. Like he's not going to get that the top pairing against him every night. Like if he plays Tampa, he's not ready to go up against Victor Hedman for 25 minutes a night or 20 minutes a night. But if he goes to Edmonton or sorry, not Edmonton, Ottawa, that's going to be a different situation. You look at their center depth and you look at their forward depth and you go, who's a better center than Quentin Byfield today? And I don't think there's an answer for that because none of them are. I think he'd be their top center day one. And realistically, if that's, if that's the case, he's going to struggle a bit because like I said, I think he does probably need a year in pro hockey, but that's not possible. So he's going to have to play at the junior hockey level next year or the NHL level. And if I'm LA, I think that's a great spot. If I'm Ottawa, I hate that. And I send him back to junior because like I said, him playing against Victor Hedman all year is going to suck him playing against <laughs> him playing against Shattenkirk is, is a little bit different. Right? So it, it's, it's about the situation he goes in that I think he's ready for the NHL, but I think he could be a capable player at the NHL level. Certainly next year. Um, a, a guy like Anton Lindell is probably ready. He's, he's a really pro ready player. And, and the guy that I think not a lot of people are talking about for NHL ready is Marco Rossi. He's a smaller player, and I think a lot of people shy away from him because of that. But the, the way this kid thinks the game, this way the kid just plays the game the right way in all, all three zones, just makes a ton of sense to me as a guy that could play at the NHL level next year. If he's playing on a team's second line, whether it's on the wing or at center, I think he's a center long term. But I think he, if he steps into your team and he's your second line right winger or left winger for next year, he's going to be a dangerous offensive player. And I think he could be a sneaky choice for a rookie of the year.